Hello, and welcome to episode 83 of the Movie Brats podcast, uh, coming to you in the middle of summer. I am Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. Just trying to stay out of the heat. <laughs> yeah, the... I actually got sunburn. I stupidly walked around the my apartment complex without a shirt on a few days ago, and it was like, it kind of burned me. It probably didn't take very long. Um, well, we've got some big movies coming out the rest of this month, but we're going to take the opportunity to stay review. inside. Don't get sunburned. See movies. <laughs> yeah. We're going to review some movies that have come out in the last couple months, all involving relationships in some form or other. Uh, the first one is one of the best reviewed movies of the year so far. It is Past Lives, directed by Celine Song in her debut film. I think she previously worked in theater to much acclaim. Uh, it stars Greta Lee, Tao Yu, and John Magaro. The film follows a reunion between two childhood sweethearts, Nora and Song, who were separated at the age of 12 when Nora's family immigrated to Canada. Um, it follows a few days uh, back in their relationship, 24 years later, uh, where Nora lives in New York City with her American husband. Um, premiered originally January 21st at the Sundance Film Festival, was released wide in the U.S., June 2nd. It is still in theaters. A Metacritic score of 94 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 98. Um, this for me was sort of one of those movies you come in with probably not super fair to the movie outsized, not even necessarily outsized expectations, but very big ones based on sort of uh, critical reaction. I think Nomadland a couple years ago uh, had a similar kind of big critical reaction in very positive way that I had high expectations for uh, before the movie you do not generally engage with trailers or anything like that were you sort of uh going into this movie with expectations jonathan well i was just about to say that this is the type of movie like nomad land like boyhood that you should not think oh my gosh this has a 94 on metacritic this is going to blow me away it's going to be this big amazing film it's quiet it's small it's subtle, but those aren't at all criticisms. They're some of the the strongest aspects of the film. I really I like the film. I, it's in my top five of the year so far. Uh, it's just people should just because the film gets really glowing reviews, don't expect the movie to be big. Uh, I have <laughs> Blow your a, socks a number off, of friends like who really Max didn't like Boyhood. Yeah, oh really? I have a number. Yeah, yeah. Like I I know a number. Yeah, I have a number of friends who were really disappointed with Boyhood because like they took 12 years to film this and like nothing happens in the movie. I'm like, yeah, that's what life is. Like little <laughs> things happen. Um the movie that it I think Linklater is a is a good sort of person to think about with this movie. I think it reminded me a lot of before Sunrise or before Sunset, that whole trilogy. Exactly. Where it's just sort of people walking and talking, but about kind of deep stuff, but it's not like you're really like answering these big questions about life. It's more just sort of thought provoking and sort of like working on themes necessarily than like really giving you like big, uh, you know, cathartic moments of like, oh, this is what it's all about. Like something like Interstellar or something like that. 
Um, so yeah, I cut you off a bit, but I think Linklater is a good sort of comparison for a movie like this. Right. It's almost like you took the before trilogy and you condensed it into one hour and 45 minute movie here because <laughs> it's set in three different time periods. And the movie it also kind of reminded me of is Lost in Translation. I mean, partially because of the Asian uh, connection, but it, the film is about the questions of and the before trilogy is this too about you know what if i had contacted this person what if i had gotten on a plane how would my ha life have been different mm -hmm. and there's something so beautiful and there's a some of the best romantic films almost hurt because there's like an aching beauty to it but like the, I, this is strange even. to say i know i was gonna say like before uh sunset the second film it's almost like hard to watch in a weird way because it's just like so achingly beautiful. Like the last segment, the last scenes of that movie, there's just this yearning. You're like, oh, you know, there's that quality to it. And I think with past lives, I, one thing I really liked about it, and there's a great scene with the uh, Asian woman and her uh, white American husband where they're lying in bed where he says, like, in most stories, I would be the villain, but there's no bad guys. These are just all multidimensional characters. And they're just, you know, it makes you think about the choices you make in your life and not, you know, it's funny. It's not like life or oh, death. This, yeah, this choice. was wrong or this thing was right even. Um, it's just kind of the quiet yearning and contemplating of the choices you make in your life. And it's so beautiful. And I mean, you did like the movie, right? Oh, I loved <laughs> or... it. I thought it was fantastic. I just thought it was. It's just I, I think it's an interesting concept in the world we live today with people, how people interact with movies and TV shows and stuff like that. I think the bear is another interesting one to think about because it's like universal acclaim, best movie, best TV show of the year. So um it's hard not to go into stuff with the really high expectations and but then it sort of calls into question of what expectations are and like, you know, if something can live up to something or I don't know, <laughs> but I really, really did like it. Um, and it was sort of just what I hoped it would be because um, I don't know. I didn't really read a lot of the reviews or uh, I watched the trailer, but I just knew that it was sort of like universally acclaimed and um, I thought it was brilliantly acted and I really liked the way it involved um like zoom calls and texting and stuff like that i think um movies can sort of choose to ignore technology or embrace it in interesting ways and i think this really embraced it in interesting ways especially with their sort of first uh reconnection 12 years after their initial separation where it's a little bit of like sort of dipping their toes and whether they want to reconnect or not and then sort of she decides it's just too much to be on the other side of the world and thinking about someone on the other side of the world does not allow you to be present where you are. Um, and well, one thing I that's was... interesting to me about the, one of the things that's interesting to me about the movie is that there never really is a romance between the two no. Asian characters because they're like, they're on like a little kid play date really. Yes. And she moves away uh, when she's quite young. So it's almost not like, uh, you know, they had this passionate romance, this love affair. I mean, like they were little kids when they knew each other. So the whole thing in a weird way too, I, I, I part of it too is another Asian uh, connection is in the same way I think of in, in the mood for love where that movie's so romantic and swooning. And yet the, so much of that kiss. movie, 
I know it, it. And I think that one of the powerful things about past lives is some of the most, um, some of the uh, biggest drama and some of the most effective uh, romantic qualities are almost the things you don't see. It's what you imagine, what the the thought of what could have happened, what would have happened. And it's the spaces in between the years and the pauses, the, the things the characters don't say out loud to each other, the glimpses that they have. It's the things that are withheld. I mean, that's one of the things about the film being so quiet and subtle. A lot of the best aspects are things the film doesn't like force on you. It like, leaves these gaps for you to plug in what you feel and it's like really it resonates with you or at least yeah. with me yeah it's like the expression on the other one's face when the other person says something or something like that it's not like they respond or like give like a big answer it's just like oh man like you know what you said like made me react in some way um but i was watching it sort of like what was going to happen at the end was sort of the big thing i was thinking about the sort of whole time they were together and i, I don't want to spoil anything but i really like the way it ended i thought it was very real and very human and like you were saying before the sort of conversation uh between the woman and her husband where they sort of have a meta conversation about you know the narrative of her life and his part in it um and you know that could seem like a kind of filmmaking flourish like meta textual but it's also something i think people would sort of say to each other because people do narrativize things and think about their lives in terms of a story so it's realistic that someone would you know, in the like... film, <laughs> no, go on. <laughs> oh, well, the film opens with this interesting moment where you're yes. seeing the three of them, the husband and wife, and then um, the man who's come to see her for the first time in person in decades. And you're hearing a voice off screen questioning, you know, oh, are the two Asian people related? No, I think she's married to the white guy. And it's almost like a, a meta example of it's like the audience is if they knew nothing about the movie, if they'd not seen the trailer or read anything, it's like, who are these people we're seeing? Yeah. And the film is making, who do I think should be time. together out of these people? Like, you know, yeah. We as right. audience members want certain things. We want certain things to happen, but um, yeah, I mean, this is just such a, it, I guess you'd call it sort of cinema verite. Cause there's a lot of extended takes of sort of long, you know conversations or stuff like that there's a really good one where they're sort of walking on uh, i guess it's brooklyn bridge park where you get a nice view of new york city in the background um so it really does feel like you're just sort of like the merry-go-round yeah you're just sort of watching people's lives in a way that um you know it wasn't very showy in its narrative technique i don't remember a whole lot of like big edits or anything like that like it's very sort of i mean realism is definitely the sort of mode it's operating in and it really achieves that um, like it really when you're watching it feels like you're sort of getting a glimpse into somebody's real life. And um, it seems maybe slightly autobiographical of uh, of the director, Celine Song. I think her family immigrated when she was young. She probably didn't, you know, have like a decades long sort of maybe she does have sort of a yearning for a guy that she met when she was 12. I don't know. Um, but it, it felt very personal. It felt very authentic and. Uh, I think it achieved sort of realism in in a way that the best movies can sort of aspire to and achieve. I think that the before movies, Boyhood, um, there's probably some other ones. I guess Nomadland was was really going for that. I don't think it necessarily. Um, I, I guess its mission was slightly different than this one as well, though. Um, 
but that one really blurred the lines a weird between movie. sort of documentary and, and narrative feature because a lot of people like played themselves in that now i'm just talking about nomadland <laughs> well i think that uh one movie it oddly reminded me of uh, a romantic film where there's these big gaps in time we have to fill in is cold war yes it also kinda, very, very condensed different. sort of like yeah. narrative in this in a similar kind right. of way. it's yeah, it's like if this film, it seems very likely it could get nominated for Best Picture, it will be like one of like seven films in the last five years that's under two hours that gets nominated for Best Picture. There's like every Best Picture nominee is like two hours and 15 minutes or longer. That's crazy. It's really that few. Yeah, I mean, it's like The Father, Belfast. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's like out of the like 50, the last 50 films nominated for Best Picture, there's like seven that are under wow. two hours. I think it's a real credit to, I mean, to just the the narrative economy of this movie because they cover so much and it feels like you're sort of seeing so much of these two people's lives um, unfold, you know, such a big span. Cold War is a good example um, of sort of people moving in and out of each other's lives in sort of interesting ways and covering a big, big span in less than two hours. Um, And also, I think that it's uh, pretty remarkable that this writer director had never done a short film even. And this was like, she gave the script to a 24 and like, yeah, it's a great script. We'll make it. It's pretty amazing as it was a first time film. I mean, that's, that is pretty crazy. And then you need to give credit to the studio for that. I mean, I guess maybe it's making money. I mean, it seems like generally, I guess a 24 must operate with some sort of profit, but the fact that they can just go finance something like Bo is afraid, which is like a total, flops box office wise um but I, you have to really give them credit for trusting and i guess artists to, to produce something that would resonate with people this movie certainly has i think if most people were to see this they would like it um especially because i think most people wouldn't be necessarily aware unless it was sold on like being the best reviewed movie of the year i think it'd probably benefit people more to maybe know a little less about it and not to have this sort of bar. So this is definitely one I could see having a bump in viewership if it were to be nominated for best picture. Um, And in that scenario, you know, audience members might go into it with maybe higher expectations or expect some sort of payoff in a way that this movie isn't really promising. So, um, but for me, one of the best movies of the year, I think it, uh, really uses you know cinema in a way that I think is is cool and you know realism is one of the best sort of things movies can emphasize is giving the impression of real lives real human beings um in a way that you know books don't have the ability to <laughs> and uh you know I think in TV we're sort of moving away from in a little bit uh so for me you know people are questioning movies in 2023 movies like past lives really give me a lot of hope for for what we could do in the future um it's like this could be a tv series or a mini series but i think the power of it is because it's this compact less than two hour movie yeah and it's just like you know you could like something could be something that happens in a very short amount of time it's like that citizen kane quote um where the guy remembers you know 70 years later then <laughs> thinks about it every day that girl he saw one time for 10 seconds um so movies make really good use of the sort of transience uh of existence and that it's not sort of something you come back to every week or 
something that's 10 hours long. Like something could be very important that doesn't necessarily take 10 hours or, you know, yeah, something I mean, like that. I think I think three of the best romantic films of all time, my favorite film of all time, City Lights, Brief Encounter, and Before Sunset are all under 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when when movies can really sort of make use of of time in interesting ways, I think that that's another thing it really shares with the Linklater movies is the playing around with the idea of time. And, um, you know, because it's it's like supposed to be they leave when they're 12. It's 12 years later. They're on sort of Zooms together. Then it's 12 years after that. Um, I think it's Skype made. because this is pre-pandemic. Skype. Yeah, you're right. Skype. Yes, <laughs> it's very much Skype. I also think part of, <laughs> I think part of it too is there's this interesting quality where if they were in person when they reunited years later in the middle part, uh, there might have been more of a spark, or not that there's not a spark online, but there are these pauses and this quietness and the not knowing exactly what to say when you're yes. just on camera talking and there's this sense of like if they had been in the same room together this could have gone further this could have been romantic yes you know? it does a really good job on the man's end i think in that one the sort of like pausing and waiting to talk and uh he sort of always has to be somewhere like he's got class so there's always a sort of like time limit on and there's obviously like the massive time difference. I don't know what it is, like 13 hours or whatever. But I found that it sort of went on longer than I thought it was going to. Because I sort of expected the bulk of the movie to be them in New York. Um, but that's not really until maybe the last 45 minutes or so. So there's a big chunk in the middle with their sort of internet relationship that I found really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, I, this is and probably I one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just saying, I mentioned the merry-go-round. It's like when they finally do meet each other after decades, they're sitting still communicating with each other and life around them is going on. And, you know, there's thing it's an interesting visual uh, thing to have that merry-go-round in the background. It's like they're finally in the same place on this giant spinning globe. But, you know, the world is now going it's around. It's still going. And they're, yeah. And then they're on the ferry. So, with the boat moving on the sea, the ocean of time. Right. And, <laughs> and there's also, on. <laughs> I mean, like a film uh, professor, but there's also this kind of motif of water. They, when they yes. meet on their play date, when they're young, it's uh, lightly it's raining. raining. And then there's the shots of the water uh, on the ferry. And um, yeah, there's this kind of, it's raining when he goes to like, New York and his friends are laughing about it. You go to New York and it's going to be raining. You're right. It's almost, I want to read into it. Like there's the idea that like, you know, you can't get into a river and it's never this, even if you get. The well, yeah, point, I mean, it's it's, it's a very philosophical movie. It's something we haven't mentioned, but I, the, the title and something that's brought up a few times is I can't remember what the idea or the word for the idea is in Korean. Inyon, I think it is what it says on Wikipedia, which uh -huh. is sort of like the idea of building up layers of sort of like, you know, contact or relationships over many, many thousands of years and lives and when you've built up enough time sort of touching someone as you pass them on the street or you know uh you know your sort of closeness develops over time and eventually you've you know to pass each other on the street enough or like held hands enough or like rub shoulders enough that you will like be with this person in the life eventually um so that's sort of where the title comes from that's the, the big idea the movie's working with so it definitely encourage you encourages you to sort of think on a symbolic level or 
maybe on a more of a philosophical level than maybe the average movie asks you to do. Um, but I think that's only to the, and it gives you time within the movie to, to sort of breathe on stuff like it. Um, it goes that even though it's only an hour and 45 minutes, like it narratively like goes at a very fast pace, but within scenes operates in a really nice sort of contemplative right. style. Um, we could go on about this movie it's for like, a long time, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's, uh, you know, it's like we said, don't go into it expecting like explosions and to be razzle dazzled. I mean, in a small way, it should move you. It's a small movie that moves you in a big way, I think. But it's a yes. small movie, subtle. Yes. And for someone who, it being her first movie, Celine Song, you know, masterful sort of use of, uh, I think, the the tools that, that cinema allows you to work with in a way that um, that theater does not. Um, which is the the field that she came from. So I always like seeing people move into to film who had previously maybe worked in theater or, um, you know, even been like actors themselves or musicians or something like that. So it's always interesting to see how people play with the tools uh, that you're given uh, to make a movie. Um, so we are going to take a brief break and come back with two more movies about relationships. Uh, so, yeah, we'll be back in just a second. What else are we talking about? <laughs> you hurt my feelings in Sanctuary. We are back uh, for our relationship trilogy of movies released in May and June. Um, the second is You Hurt My Feelings, directed by Nicole Holoff Center, who is previously, uh, you, I think, writer-director for all of these. Uh, Enough Said, Walking and Talking, and Friends with Money, uh, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. It is about Beth, a middle-aged novelist whose life enters a period of crisis when she overhears her husband confiding in a friend that he doesn't like her latest novel. Uh, it originally premiered January 22nd at Sundance, a U.S.-wide release of May 26th. It is streaming on demand. I think it's still playing in some theaters in limited showtimes, obviously. A Metacritic score of 82 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 94 uh, this was the first Nicole Holoff Center movie I've actually ever seen. I think you've probably seen most, if not all. So we'll let you start with uh, your reactions to the newest one, Jonathan. Yeah, I had seen in a theater in their original release, uh, Please Give and Enough Said. And then she did a Netflix film that I don't know if it was ever actually released in theaters. And it's one of hers I haven't seen. But I uh, I also want to mention she was one of the Oscar-nominated screenwriters of one of my very favorite films a few years ago, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, also, more recently, she was one of the screenwriters with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon of The Last Duel. Yes. And, um, yeah, I, I actually watched a double feature uh, a few days before I went to see this new one in the theater of her first two films, Walking and Talking and Lovely and Amazing, and uh yeah she's just has a very distinctive voice in cinema and she makes these small character driven comedy dramas all certainly comedies funny movies and they have she gets good actors in them and there's something really refreshing about you hurt my feelings because it's an adult film 
for adults about adult problems. And I don't mean adult in that it's like super raunchy or graphic in any way. I mean, like, honestly, if it weren't for some bad language, this could be a PG movie, um, not even just PG-13. There's, you know, there is some certainly some language in the movie, but it's just nice to see there are still movies like this that will play in the theater. I mean, it's the type of movie where a lot of the people that will go see it are uh the age of the characters meaning like 40 50 plus years that was definitely um, the case in the theater i was in right and yeah i mean i think julie louis dreyfus is maybe the funniest woman on the planet earth i think she is a comic god uh seinfeld veep uh she's had an interesting film career not done a ton of films but she pops up in woody allen's hannah and her sisters and deconstructing harry uh, she was in uh, Hoff Center's film Enough Said, uh, along with the late James Gandolfini in a role that he did right before he died. Um, and she's just like perfection. And some of the funniest parts in this movie are just the way she delivers the line. Like the lines are funny, but boy, can she put a spin on it or give a facial expression. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, this isn't like the you know this isn't a groundbreaking film it's not like the you're gonna clutch your sides from laughing so hard but it's really clever and funny and it has really funny performances and it's just a really solid adult drama comedy that you really don't see that type much these days and it was refreshing i enjoyed it quite a bit Yes, I mean, the, the sort of easy thing to say about a movie like this is this is the kind of movie that doesn't really get made anymore. That's just sort of like an adult comedy drama about, you know, adult situations and feelings and stuff like that. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think sort of these have moved into TV. Like there was that Seth Rogen um, comedy drama that came out last month on apple tv or whatever and it seems like for some reason people are more willing to, to watch stuff like that if it's tv rather than movies which which really confuses me um but like you said julia louis dreyfus is really the sort of like the best part of this movie and really makes nicole hall of centers like dialogue like sing in like a really incredible way and it seems like nicole hall of centers maybe the director who's gotten the most out of her at least in movies, because like Veep, Seinfeld, obviously in TV, she's, you know, been amazing. But I think of the remake of Force Majeure that came out a couple years ago. She was in with Will Ferrell that did really, really bad. Um, so it's, you know, she hasn't maybe necessarily gotten as many opportunities to star in a movie as um, some other actresses have. But she definitely makes the most of it. And it's really, really good in this. Um, it's hard not to think of Woody Allen. Um when movies like this and to sort of see his influence on people like Nicole Holoff center, it very much. She worked on a number of his early movies, including Hannah and her sisters. <clears throat> I don't know if she had any inner uh, connect, uh, any, uh, you know, connection to ever even met uh, Julie Louis Dreyfus only had a small part along with Lewis black is also in that movie, small part. Woody Allen, you go back and look at his movies. They're like chock full of people early in their career. Um, but uh, yeah, she actually worked as like an assistant editor um, wow. on a number of Woody Allen movies. And it's very much like, it's almost like if you find Woody Allen problematic and you can't watch him anymore, <laughs> yeah. here's a woman doing a very similar type uh, movie. Yes, it's she is very much inherited uh, that sort of mantle from him. Um, 
And I listened New to York. some interviews. Yeah, it, it seemed like she had a hard time gaining funding for this movie. And it seems like generally she's had a lot of scripts over the last few years that haven't uh, been made into TV shows or movies or whatever. Um, well, um, you mentioned uh, how there are more television shows of this sort, and she actually has. If you look at her IMDb, she's directed a lot of television, TV episodes, and uh, yeah. And someone mentioned, I forgot what uh, film director said, but you know, in like a lot of other countries, certainly like France, the government actually helps directors get films made, and like, yeah, they Britain fund does artists. that. And someone pointed out, like, you know, someone like Nicole Hofstin, or if, like, Claire Denis was in America, she would be directing Sex in the City. Yeah. You know, and, like, making Silo. Fight. I know. And it's just kind of, you know, it, I, you know, and I, you know, I think it's a really good, um, you know, you, what you get from working on television is you get to work with uh, state-of-the-art uh camera like you get to know the new technology and you get to work with a lot of different actors yes uh but you're kind of uh for hire person you're a traffic cop yeah it's definitely not telling her own stories which it seems like this one very much is that the julia louis dreyfus character is sort of an avatar for her it's not like a one-to-one you know it's not like she plays nicole holof center but you know she's in a creative sort of environment and is around the same age um so yeah i doubt she's getting the opportunities in television to you know to sort of write stuff about what you know she really sort of feels on a daily basis like she does in this movie um we haven't mentioned uh tobias menzies um he's pretty good as pretty good that's pretty <laughs> he's good as uh her husband who's sort of a, a therapist in crisis who doesn't quite know if he's helping anybody or not which i thought was a, a sort of fun idea of a therapist who like thinks he's actually a waste of money yeah. And a rare thing, uh, the uh, a male female relationship where the male is over ten years younger than the the is that right? Actress. That's I didn't you know, even like, really never, think about happens. that. Um, yeah, I don't really know him. For, he's one of those actors that I'm like, I don't know what I know him from. And then you look on IMDb, I'm like, oh, I've seen him in like ten movies. But <laughs> yeah. uh, like, he's been on some major TV shows. He's on yes. The Crown playing, yeah. And I don't watch TV. And he uh, was in Game of Thrones. He has a very interesting face. He has like two massive, it looks like scars on his cheeks. I don't know if they are, if it's just like how his face is. But he's And part of the film is about, another rare thing is that a male thinking about like, should I get plastic surgery, looking at his <laughs> facial expressions and uh-huh. his looks. I, um, I also want to point out, there's a lot of funny people in supporting roles, like real life couple David Cross and Amber Tamblin played the couple that are in therapy. Uh, Jeannie Berlin is really funny as the uh, Joe Louis Dreyfus's uh, mother. Yes. Uh, I really like the Turner Classic Movies joke in the movie. I won't give it away. <laughs> remember that? I, that made me laugh as a TCM fan. The um, the actress who plays her sister is very good. Yeah. Um, um, who's also Watkin. in a sort of yeah. point of crisis because she's like an interior designer. Um, and the only sort of ideas her customers seem to like are the ones that she hates. I mean, it's playing with sort of interesting stuff like this. Um, and there's the the son who thinks that by being so positive uh, has sort of damaged him. Um, so it's a lot of sort of interesting character studies in a in a like a less than two hour movie, I think. Oh, um, like 93 minutes or something. I Yeah. I, I also one thing I enjoyed about the movie is that it both works as an honest and realistic comedy drama about you know feels like real people and yet it's it's quite funny and like 
there's good one-liners there's good yeah it, it, and the and what, what this has happened with an, a, a few of her movies enough said if you read the basic premise it really sounds like a log line for a sitcom almost oh really uh, but uh and then i would say the same with this one like this film could have been like a dumb more broad comedy oh, yeah. but it always stays focused on the characters while still be I like the fact that it's very character driven but it still is consistently funny and clever. Yes, and sort of each character gets their own point of view. Like we get scenes I think of maybe every character sort of in their own life maybe at work or something like that without any of the other main characters around. I did maybe the actor uh husband of her sister is the only person we don't get like that. Um but yeah, I really, really liked it. I mean, it's the crowd I was with. People laughed. I mean, everyone seemed to have had a good time. So it might Would sort you of say seem that, like... that most people were like uh, 20, 30 plus years older than you. Oh, 100%. <laughs> like I was definitely the youngest person in, in, in the room. If you know, unless like a grandparent brought like their 10 year old grandkid or something. Um but, but yeah, it's I've, not the it's not the type of movie where I could think like, oh my gosh, this would be completely foreign for a twenty five year old. No, like, it, it's just a funny movie. It's yes. really entertaining. I think yes, and I think Julia Julia Louis Dreyfus like really is a star. We saw that in Veep, um, and Seinfeld, and she can carry a movie. And I, you know, if someone isn't necessarily interested in New York intellectuals or you know upper middle class people and their upper middle class problems. At least uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is charismatic and funny enough to to carry a movie like this. And I think would keep the the average average audience member engaged just because of her sort of vitality and, and charisma and how just hilarious she is and how she how good she is at delivering lines. Um, Do you I, know what uh, big blockbuster she was in last year? Uh, she was in some Marvel movie, I think, right? She's in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, See, another... but that allows her to do stuff like this because she never has to worry about money again. So she right. <laughs> well, we're talking it. about like past lives and you hurt my feelings. It's funny, like in this day and age with streaming and COVID post pandemic or still in the pandemic, depending on what you want to think. But it's like a movie like the uh, those two, if they make like three million dollars, that's like a like a big success. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. sad. I mean, I was looking like there are about 40 movies that have been released in the US this year that have made $10 million or more. Only about that's not 40. Bad. No, but that's no, that's really <laughs> bad. Because there's been like hundreds of films released already. Yeah. Yeah. And like and, I mean, and there it's have like, been some big, big flops already this year, though. Yeah, and, and there's only been like 10 films, 12 films that have a hundred million dollars or more. And the Flash must be one of those, which is still a massive, just, massive bomb. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's number one, which has over $200 million more than the number two film? To have come out this year. Oh, I, f- is, uh, I feel like I should know this, but it's. Blink, it's blink, 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 blink. What is that? Super Mario Brothers. Ah, uh, yes. Which is like a billion dollar movie, um, which I don't think either of us have seen. <laughs> I know. It's just uh, like, I don't understand like a grown ass adult, like theoretically standing outside a theater and on the marquee, Super Mario you see you it, Super Mario Brothers and you hurt my feelings and they go see Super Mario Brothers. Like, I don't understand that. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you kind of don't either, right? I can understand pretty... it, but I can disagree with it. And I can feel like that person should feel ashamed. 
Yeah. Well, I shouldn't, I'll say this off mic, but I mean, no, I'll go ahead and say, I won't, I have a friend who's going to a university and he's uh, getting a master's in film. And one of his classmates who's getting a master's in film bragged that he had never seen a Hitchcock film before they watched one in class. And he went to see Super Mario Brothers five times in the theater. Wow. Now, am I being mean when I say that person's a loser? Yes, but it doesn't mean you're wrong. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's my first. You can be mean and be right. Yeah, I mean that's just sad to me. Yeah, it's that's I don't know, it's not a sort of film fandom or like you know appreciator of of movies that I can it's really like, get on I mean, the same like, wavelength as. It's funny. It's like. The bragging not a, about not seeing Hitchcock, I think, is worse than than seeing Super Mario Brothers. Maybe five times is excessive, but to hold it as a badge of honor to have not seen something, I think, is just totally wrong. I and I and I just I don't understand. I mean, I saw this on Twitter, especially someone uh, like Hitchcock. Yeah, I mean, his movies are like so many of them are just like among the most like just purely entertaining movies, as well as being great works of art. But yeah, because like, it's not like it's like West Bergman. <laughs> I know. And like, you, okay, I want to go off on a tangent, but to me, like even the seventh seal is like legitimately entertaining. It's dark and thought provoking, but it's like, if you actually watch it, it's like 97 minutes and it's like, really, it's funny. It's dramatic. It's definitely dramatic. But, but the thing that people I don't understand is like, I read this on Twitter about a year and a half ago. And there's this thing where a movie like licorice pizza or Dune, or The Power of the Dog, or, um, you know, they're considered, like, esoteric art house films that are, like, really difficult, and for, like, the most select audiences, whereas, like, all those movies like that, and You Hurt My Feelings in Past Lives, like, would have been, like, very accessible, like, successful movies in, like, the late 60s through the early 80s, the new Hollywood period. Oh, I mean, Past Lives would have been, like, a massive hit in 1975. I know. Like, it would have made three <laughs> but, times the budget not adjusted for inflation if it came out in 1974. Yeah, but, I, it's, you know, it's the operate, it's the, the landscape we existed and one we have to, you know, negotiate with as as we move forward. Um, but a movie that I think really makes use of, of the tools that the cinema can provide in interesting ways and is one of my favorite movies of the year so far, I think. Uh, but not super well publicized or necessarily well seen uh, is Sanctuary, directed by Zachary Wigan, who had previously directed The Heart Machine in 2014, a movie that I have not seen, uh, starring Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott. It is about a dominatrix and her longtime client who have an emotionally intense final session in a hotel suite as he transitions into his new role as the CEO of a large company after the death of his father. It came out originally nearly a year ago, September 11th, 2022, at the Toronto International Film Festival, but was released in theaters May 19th, a Metacritic score of 67, and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90. Um, This was a movie that I really enjoyed, the experience of watching in a theater. And in the best sort of way is one that he really didn't know what was going to happen five minutes from now in a way that I found very exciting. And, and I really, I'm really starting to enjoy movies that confuse me or disorient me and sort of make me question what's going to happen next. And I think this really achieved that at a, 
and in, in an interesting way and actually finished in a way that I totally did not see coming. So even held me sort of, you know, on the edge of my seat until the very last second. Um, I have seen that this is sort of a divisive movie, which I was a little surprised by. Um, I have not heard your reaction to it yet. So Jonathan, what did you think of Sanctuary? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, it's not like one of my favorite films of the year. I don't like it as much as you, I guess, but I uh, it. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a two-hander. Basically there's uh, virtually no one else in the entire film, except for the two. And uh, it's a film that is elevated quite a bit by how strong the two lead actors are. I would say especially Margaret Qualley yes. is kind of going all out. Yes. And she's uh, giving a really kind of throwing, putting it all out there. And, you know, she, you know she's very, you get to see a lot of shades to her character. And um, I think that it's a movie where, not to mislead lead people, but it's not like, uh confounding or you know not in a like weird david lynch surreal no, way no and or, even just saying like it's a movie about a dominatrix might people people might think like there's a lot of sex in it or a lot of like weird uh, kinky stuff which there kind of is briefly but not even really that there's like anything like that yeah there's like i don't think there's even any nudity in the film hardly <laughs> no <laughs> yeah uh and and that's part of the thing about it it's almost like she the character it's like the film is withholding the sex from us it's more about the the torture that she puts the man through and not like literal torture necessarily um but i i would say that i think the film gets a little bit repetitive and that there is yeah. a part of it that it get like this uh you know talking about running time this movie would have been a really good 80 minute movie and it's like an hour and 45 minute movie i think yeah. that if uh there's some scenes towards the end where it kind of we see the same thing happening over and over and it, she's toying with us she's toying with the character so you get why it's happening but uh i i also think that um it's a movie that dramatically is messing with us and that can be kind of irritating but it's also part of the it's part uh, of what lure. makes yeah it's part of yeah. sort of the mode it's operating in yeah um, it's a manipulative movie and for the most part it's enjoyable uh if you give yourself over like the main character yes. the male character is if you well, give yourself resi over. he resists yeah for some time but ultimately. well the whole movie basically <laughs> you're playing a game of how much of this is real how much of this is a game yes or like <laughs> like Who's I mean, playing the game? It's it's one of those things that I really like about movies because at the end of the day, none of it's real. It is a movie. It's all fake. So right. So they're actors playing a role in a movie where they're playing roles. <laughs> no, and also like so within this movie, like what's real? Like what are the stakes? Like you know, would it? How bad would something be if it were to like actually happen or something like that? Um, and it being sort of like a one setting where you know, in that way, it sort of shares characteristics with the play. And that plays can really work well in one setting and movies can too, but you sort of need to make it cinematic if you're going to, you know, reduce it to sort of stage like, and it's, you know, unity and time and unity in place. If we want to go back to the well, Aristotelian did, dramatics. Did, uh, did you see a movie uh, from last year called good luck to you, Leo grand with Emma Thompson? No, I, that's one that was really well reviewed. And I saw trailers of it. It's like, I probably would like that, but I didn't see it. Yeah, it would make a really interesting, strange uh, double feature with this film because that film, almost all of it is two people in a room. It's about an older woman that hires a sex worker. She's never had an orgasm in her life. And uh, I thought it was interesting where the director was talking about how a number of people told her that 
you know, oh, this could have been on stage. This could have been a play. And she said, I don't think of it that way. I never thought it like this could be a play because I think with both films, yes, I mean, theoretically they could be on the stage, but they're films that are so physical and there's so much about space and uh, the ways people are interacting with each other that, you know, when you're in a theater, a stage theater, it's like you're seeing actors on a stage and there's a set distance, like characters can walk amongst the stage. Yes. But with a film, you can do close-ups. You yes. can, you know, do this dance with the actors, with the camera. And so uh, even though Sanctuary is very, almost because of the kind of tension in the film, it's a claustrophobic film almost, there's a real sense of, kind of cinematic playfulness like that you know there's a there's you're toying with the audience you know yes. and even the part of the narrative of the film is like where is the camera where is the camera has she hidden the camera in yes the room? it's like a very playful movie with audience members and sort of what we expect and what we think is going to happen or what we'd like to happen um and you know as we're we're starting to get to a point where you know I, it's not like movies need to justify their existence but i you know i'm not necessarily a fan of thinking about movies as in some sort of existential crisis but you know a lot of people do operate with criticizing or thinking about movies in that sort of mode these days um with like you were saying the struggling box office and the prevalence of tv and how movies are sort of becoming tv with stuff like marvel where it's all sort of serialized um that i i really like movies like sanctuary that make play with the medium and are entertaining it couldn't be a tv series no yeah. it'd be it'd be totally pointless as a tv series um and it's you know gets you in and gets you out and the way it ends is like yeah i like that that's like a good ending for a movie um and it's yeah a director i wasn't familiar with the writer who actually i think is married to the woman who wrote directed past lives which we get an interesting connection there um that you know i'm i'm interested to see what they do moving forward because i thought this was really good i mean obviously the the big standout in the movie is margaret qualley who seems like she's gonna be I wouldn't say like a movie star because I don't know if those really exist anymore, but definitely an interesting up and coming actor who seems to be interested in working with good directors. She was in uh, Stars at Noon last year and will be in Ethan Cohen's solo directorial debut, right? Narrative debut. Narrative yeah. debut. And That's coming uh, out this she's year. in, uh, it, I don't, I think she may be in both. She's in at least one of Yorgos Lanthimos movies that's coming out this year yeah uh, she had a small part in once upon a time in hollywood but crucial um <laughs> yeah and i think that uh it's interesting a movie i watched just a few days before i saw this one there is another film starring christopher abbott that is very much uh, most of it a two-hander largely set indoors is this much more i mean sanctuary is like kind of a you call it like a psychological thriller uh piercing is like a horror film yeah uh a thriller too but it's about this married man who uh is like standing over his baby in the opening of the film with the knife and he's like is he going to kill his baby and then he decides i need to get this you know some steam i need to let some uh you know steam out what's the expression steam off uh and so he's <laughs> i'm gonna uh order a hooker and murder her and cut her up in the bathroom oh my god uh, but then he meets uh, the crazy hooker played by Mia Wyszykowska and she is like kind of crazy herself. So uh, 
I didn't really like the movie. It's it's stylish and it's kind of it just doesn't really work for me. You're talking me, about the other one, not sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, but it's interesting that there's two films starring Christopher Abbott that are very similar about potentially violent hookers. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah, there's two, uh, the, almost the whole films. Both of them are two handers and they're set in like uh, you know apartments or uh-huh. hotel rooms, and um, yeah, that is both, interesting. Uh, yeah, because he's like, he's someone who's been. Uh, he was in First Man. Remember, he was well, in he, Girls. Well, yeah, he was on Girls. Is and supposedly yeah. him, he and Lena Dunham did not get along after a certain point and was not in the rest oh, of really? the series. <laughs> uh, I've heard he's like I actually saw him a few times at like film at Lincoln Center. Like he's like a big, like serious film uh, cineast. Like so interested really, in in working with interesting directors. I guess. Yeah, he um he was in um uh uh uh, brandon cronenberg's film possessor which i really liked it was the star of that along Mm -hmm. with andrea risebro he was in a movie the titular character in a movie called james white that came out about seven or eight years ago that was uh, quite well reviewed Mm -hmm. and he's one of those people that's popped up in a lot of things you know he's kind of an indie actor but he's popped up in a lot of things uh He's really hot too. I have to mention that. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's good as a sort of like millennial man in crisis. Um, right. It's like, like the sort of thing. It, well, it's almost like if back in the day, it's like he. Uh, I don't know. This may be not be a good con- uh, comparison, but it's like. Michael Douglas played a lot of these kind of sexually charged, you know, thriller dramas in like the 80s and 90s with Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct, you know, and I'm not saying that all of those movies are like that, but um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's, uh, I think you liked it more than me, but I loved I it. I mean, at, coming out of the theater, I was like, that's the best movie I've seen this year. Um, I mean, maybe like, you know, in terms of like thinking on it and uh, you know, when I make my my end of year list, I doubt it will be number one. But I think that's as much as you can ask of a movie is leaving it. You're like, wow, I really like that. That's one of the best things I've seen. Um, and it, it, you know, it hits you in a sort of cinematic, like go into the movies experience in a way that's quite different than past lives, which is more like a movie that sticks with you. And sort of while you're watching it you're thinking about a lot of stuff it's not necessarily i mean it is narrative driven but it's not like what's going to happen next um in a way that sanctuary was much more like a it's i don't know they're just two movies that sort of approach what you're getting out of movies in different ways like this has a big payoff ending um it's you know sort of tightly constructed it's you know in terms of like setting and time it's the exact opposite of past lives because it's basically one night in one place um so sort of interesting and to be a film geek professor i know and to be a film geek professor to compare the two uh there's also playing with time and sanctuary he even gifts her a uh watch watch, you know so (laughs) yes i I always have my film professor hat on when i watch movies i can't help it Uh but yeah i mean now having seen them you know some time ago and able to sort of evaluate them i think of these three movies i think pet past lives is the best one i think oh yeah definitely. you hurt my feelings in sanctuary or on a similar level but i probably like sanctuary sanctuary more but um i can it's just one of those things where you're in the movie theater and it's over and you're like great that was great i really liked that <laughs> in a way that past lives it's not re- really a movie that you know aims to do that necessarily like there isn't a, a payoff ending or um it's a lot more sort of contemplative and um and in a past lot of ways lives. like yeah past lives compared but it has to- a very satisfying 
uh ending where you yeah to, for like, its narrative the, yes yeah. definitely um but the, the ending of sanctuary was like big and it, it was a way i didn't really expect um that i just i really really liked so i i liked all three of these movies i would recommend all three to most people to be honest i mean you know everyone i would not, not recommend like sanctuary sanctuary <laughs> is for weird pervy people i like they're not most people you got to think of the average audience won't want to see sanctuary i think it's one of those things that we live you know in cinema can be subversive and people can be introduced to concepts that they might not feel comfortable with when the movie starts but by the end they are and like you can say it's a movie about a dominatrix but it's not like it's like aggressively gross or like showing you perverted stuff obviously some Carter, people might Carter. be morally opposed to the idea of sex workers in general or the idea of a dominatrix but um it's a pretty wholesome a few... dominatrix movie <laughs> we carter do you remember what i said a few minutes ago was by far the number one highest grossing film of the year the super mario <laughs> yeah 90 percent of people would never see this movie no, but I would love for there to be like an audience of adults who are there to see Super Mario Brothers and they see Sanctuary instead. And I'd be interested to see how they would respond to it. I think most of them would probably like it, you know, if they didn't just like leave in rage in the first 10 minutes having been duped. And just to think about it real quick, it's interesting how Piercing, which I didn't particularly like, but Possessor, which I really liked, they're all about with Christopher Abbott and Possessor's another movie where it really is like, uh, you know, like his father, uh, Brandon Cronenberg, David Cronenberg, where it's like body horror, but it's about like role playing. Did you ever see Possessor? No, I still haven't. I've I didn't see either of yeah. Cronenberg's movies actually, or any Three of them. them. No. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Possessor is one where uh people are able to like go into other people's bodies. It's almost like invasion of the body snatchers thing. So it's interesting how like Sanctuary is a more like psychological about one where being it's like someone else controlling people and uh yeah, yeah. feeling like but, you can sort of have a different sort of interior confidence yeah. if you are playing yeah. well so, um, yeah but now if i was saying sanctuary is you know not necessarily for every uh average american possessor <laughs> you shouldn't even isn't. see carter because it's like uh it, it's like a, a 10 out of 10 on the gore and the graphic blood really really violent like i watched it going oh my god I think that's what makes Sanctuary much more approachable than people might think when they just hear it's like a dominatrix movie. Because there isn't really anything that while you're watching it would necessarily make you feel really uncomfortable. Let me put it this way. It's the type of movie that most people wouldn't watch. But I think if most people, if they weren't like morally like, oh my gosh, uh, anything to do with sex. I think if people actually did watch it, they would like it. Yeah, probably. I, I think most so. people wouldn't watch it in no, the first place. It's though. like, ah, yeah. Dominatrix, disgusting. Um, but right. like I said, it's just about as wholesome as a Dominatrix movie can be. And I can, you know, say that with a straight face. Well, no, she's like trying to ruin his life. Yeah, but you're being sarcastic. No, but by the end, you know, it's like I, I don't want to spoil it's weird, anything. Yeah, it's weirdly <laughs> like a um, kind of a. I don't even say it's a romantic. It's like a satisfying movie. romantic movie. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is one of one of the reasons I found it really interesting because it subverts expectations. Like I that. I also, if you want to go with the other star, I really actually like quite a bit Stars at Noon, uh, yeah. which it, it, it's one of the rare movies in recent years where it's basically of two hot, really hot movie stars 
and it's just them fucking and being in like a beautiful locale and like nothing really happens in the movie it's one of those movies where like stuff is happening but you don't really care it's just like seeing beautiful actors naked on screen totally having sex frequently in the movie and like you don't see movies like that anymore so yeah come on go to see adult (laughs) movies people well that movie was uh being filmed their partners uh Taylor Swift and Zach Antonoff for making an album. So I'm interested to see what their days were like in comparison. Um, He's going to be in the Yorgos Lanthimos film with her. Oh, really? Yeah. They're sort of a strange couple. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so three relationship movies. I think all we liked all three of them. I think Past Lives will probably be pretty yeah. high up on, maybe not high up, but will probably appear on both of our year-end top ten lists. Um so yeah, I, I recommend them to, to anyone listening to this, I think would probably yeah. like all three. Um, so yeah, we will be back with a much shorter break between episodes uh, than our previous one uh, with some period pieces released in the last couple months. Uh, nice little tease there. So thank you for listening and uh, we will be back next time. Thank you.